Hello and welcome to the Wild Cornwall podcast, brought to you by Cornwall Wildlife Trust. In today's episode, we're focusing on the Marine Strandings Network, which is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. For centuries, people around our coastline have recorded washed up organisms on our beaches. And although they're very sad, these events offer an extraordinary opportunity for marine biologists to glimpse into the lives of animals that live in the sea and are usually incredibly hard to study. We speak with Abby Crosby, Marine Conservation Officer, followed by Sharon, a Marine Strandings volunteer. Abby, welcome to the Wild Cornwall podcast. Oh, it's a, it's a delight to be here. So, Abby, tell us what, what does your role involve? What do you do all day, each day? Okay, so I'm a Marine Conservation Officer at Cornwall Wildlife Trust. And I think, like a lot of us at the Wildlife Trust, we do a lot of different things. Uh, the team and I um, run a huge number of projects, plethora of conservation projects for the marine environment, from sustainable fisheries to dive surveys to looking at dolphins. Um, so it's an incredibly interesting job and very varied. And I can say that we are honestly one of the busiest wildlife trusts in the country when it comes to marine conservation. And that's something we're all really proud of. So it's great. Yeah. So what's your absolute favourite bit of the job then? Oh, my goodness. I think I really enjoy the fact that we do such varied things. I love the fact one minute I'm writing a a report on blue carbon and the next minute I'm organising a conference on stranded dolphins and then you're writing a Wildlife Trust magazine article about our communities. So I just think the varied nature of the job is fabulous. All sorts of different tasks. And today we're thinking about the Marine Strandings Network. Mm. That's been going on for 20 years this year, uh, which is a huge amount of time. What's the purpose of that network? What does it do? Yeah, we're really proud of the Marine Strandings Network. Um, It is a real flagship uh, project for the Trust. It's something we're recognised for, not just in this county, not even just in this country, but globally. We're really well recognised for it. It's superb. It's gold star citizen science. And as the name suggests, the Marine Strandings Network, it is recording all stranded marine animals that wash up in this county. Um, so quite a niche project, but invaluable. You know, we're, we're examining creatures that live out at sea, sometimes, you know, it's at significant depths or that are so rare that otherwise we just wouldn't know anything about them. And yet we have these strandings in our county and we can talk about Cornwall as a county for strandings, but we have this invaluable opportunity to, to see these animals up close and get to really understand the ecology um, and and look at what's happening, what's happening with these animals. And that can tell you a little bit about what their threats may be, what the conservation issues are. And we can use that information to do something about it ultimately. So it's a it's a fascinating project. It's a brilliant project. It's one that, as you said, has been running a very long time in Cornwall. And we want it to be running for many, many decades to come. So it sounds absolutely amazing mm. and hugely valuable, but also quite emotionally difficult on some levels because of the nature yeah. of what you're dealing with. You're right. I think when, you, when you're part of this project, you, you become quite numb to it, don't you, in any, any sort of subject like this. Uh, you're right. It is really upsetting. It's not just the fact that you're dealing with 
what can be quite gruesome, you know, gruesome um, topic, subject matter. But also these are really beautiful creatures. I mean, these animals and we're, when I say these, I guess I'm talking about all these big glamorous megafauna. We have a real focus, for instance, on cetaceans, which are all the dolphins, the porpoises and the whales. You know, these are species that people love, you know, and they really associate with and they 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 get, you know, and it, and it evokes lots of emotions. And so when you see those sort of animals washed up on the beach dead yeah it, it is it is um it is tough but i think from that place of love and appreciation for those animals is that place of hard work and dedication that our volunteers show because they know how important the work therefore is that we can do something to help these animals and sort of understand why they're washing up and if if there's any way we can help to stop it happening if that's the case yeah, of um, course. yeah. and and did people before marine strandings network did people do this kind of work did they examine stranded I think because England is, is an island, you know, we're such a maritime country, really, um, particularly Cornwall as a county. I think we've always had a we have a fascination with the sea. We have a connection with the sea. And I think when these things happen, it always attracts attention wherever you are in the country and whoever you are. You're always interested by what's washed in by the sea and never more so than when a huge whale washes up on, on the on the coastline. And it is documented over history that people, you know, will report this it will be in historic news items it will be in old sort of you know literature uh, I think in Cornwall the oldest record is 1308 you Gosh, know that's quite yeah. a long time ago um, so yeah they have been reported over time I, the, the Natural History Museum played a really key role it was back in 1990 that they started um, facilitating the recording of strandings in a more formal way um, but we know they've had records you know for for centuries right. um, but yeah so so it has been going on um, coordinated by the Natural History Museum in those early years uh, it was back in, a, in in the 90s that we had the most inspirational woman called Stella Turk uh, MBE uh, she was a biological recorder and she was completely dedicated her life to, to Cornwall's biology and conservation and she's the lady that started kind of bringing like, recording strandings making an effort to collate um, data of strandings in the county as a, a part of the record centre back then in those days and then in around 2002 then that's why um, 2003 sorry that's why we're celebrating uh, our, our 20 year anniversary now that's when it became it came into the Cornwall Wildlife Trust. We had these another set of brilliant people called Jan and Jeff Loveridge who worked with the trust as volunteers and they made the Marine Strandings Network what it is today. Right. So we had those early years in the 90s and then in, in early 2000s, Jan and Jeff um, brought the Strandings Network in-house and we've had 20 years now of, of coordinating it within the Wildlife Trust. And it's, you know, it's a great project and it's running brilliantly today. So it's good. So as we as we look back over those twenty years, yeah, what are some of the achievements that that have been made possible through Ooh. MSN? Well, I mean, so ultimately, I mean, the achievements are that we are collecting this data that hasn't yet ever been collected. Now, a lot of that data goes to very clever pathologists and scientists who then do the research on it. But, um, you know, that without us, without the Wildlife Trust volunteers, we would not have that data and that evidence. And that alone, I think, is 
one of the biggest achievements that we are a functioning citizen science project that collects you know world-class data that can be used in this really important research some of those research findings specifically will be things like the evidence to uh, rally a government to do something about bycatch, which is the accidental entanglement of these animals in fishing gear. Huge problem. You know, we know anecdotally it's a problem, but you, unless you have that evidence, you cannot take it forward. You cannot influence policy. And our Strandings Network has created decades of evidence now that and is, is recognised by government agencies and is, has played a really instrumental part on putting bycatch on the policy map. You know, there's some really interesting research findings. There's um, the fact that we recognise that bottlenose dolphins, those lovely animals that um, feature in Hollywood movies, actually kill <laughs> porpoises and other dolphin species at quite a significant rate. Um, and that's fascinating findings about the ecology yeah. and behaviour of these animals that, you know, one of the top five causes of death in porpoises was from bottlenose it's dolphins. It's that high. It's, it's literally that high. And I'm just going to stop you there on that yeah. point. For someone who doesn't know, difference between a oh, dolphin yes. and a, a bottlenose dolphin and a porpoise. Um, well, a bottlenose dolphin is massive and yep. a porpoise is really small. Okay, <laughs> okay. so there's, there's been really um, clever ana anatomical uh, definitions, mm. but ultimately our porpoises are the smallest cetaceans in the world and we've got them in our water, harbour porpoises. Uh, they're very dark, they have no beak, they've got a blunt little head and they have a very small black triangular fin on the back. They're very shy, they're elusive, they, they will pop up um, to breathe a few times and then dive and forage on the sea around the seabed and then our bottlenose dolphins basically flipper so if you've seen any movie about dolphins or um that that 1970s show called flipper that's the bottlenose dolphins big beasts uh, and the ones we get here in the uk are some of the biggest in the world they're big big animals up to sort of three and a half meters long if not even sometimes God, a bit yeah, over huge, that yeah. big big animals gray big kind of um their beak is like a lovely rounded bottlenose you know uh, shape uh very intelligent they're the ones we just see off the cliff sort of jumping and um, prancing around with other boats yeah. i mean they're in they're insane animals they're amazing <laughs> i mean we're just amazing and when you see one of them wash up on the beach yes it's sad but it bloom and neck it's fascinating. It's fascinating yeah 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 and it, and from what you've said it sounds as though it's volunteers who are right. really making this marine strandings network happen yeah uh, on a weekly basis Can yeah you tell me more about those volunteers well it's well i mean for a start the fact in 2003 it was volunteers jan and jeff loveridge that made the network what it is today they formalized all the processes within the trust with the trust support and uh, and created this you know world-class network and and the, the the policies and processes within it so for a start it comes from volunteers and then you have every element of the strandings network is um coordinated by volunteers so we have a hotline that's really well recognized and respected in this county um it's the uh, i'm going to say it on the podcast because then people can write it down Absolutely. it's the 0345 201 2626 i sound like i'm on an advert we'll put, this, put, we'll that, put in that in the show in. notes as well so we, lovely people can look at that can look at that and uh, that is run by um, coordinators who are uh, volunteers so we have a team of people at the other end of the phone that will manage the public work with the public and then coordinate our trained volunteers another set of volunteers who go out to the beach and physically do the recording on the beach 
And uh, and we even then have another set of volunteers who, if that animal is really fresh and it has to be really, really fresh in really good condition, it may go to postmortem. And we'll talk about the postmortem side of things. Um, and again, volunteers will transport that animal, that carcass to the postmortem facilities to enable that to happen. And that happens under, very importantly, the Cetacean Strandings Investigation Programme or CSIP. So some of our members and followers may hear us mention CSIP in some of our literature and our PR. And that is the national body, the national project that we work within. We are an official partner within CSIP. We provide all of our data to them. Uh, they are CSIP is run by the Institute of Zoology and it's DEFRA funded. So, you know, this big DEFRA funded project and we are an instrumental part of it. So that's where and they're the ones that will then coordinate the postmortems and get all the information from the postmortems, which is really, really important and valuable. Yeah. So it sounds like we're talking about a huge number of volunteers. Oh, yeah. So on the ground, you know, we're talking hundreds. I mean, we have two, about around 198 call-out volunteers. We have around 17 hotline coordinators. Big shout out to them. And we have, well, dozens of post-mortem volunteers as well. So you're talking about literally directly involved in the project. And, and I'm talking about active. You know, these aren't volunteers that may not be able to do anything for a few years. This is a crew that are active. So, yeah, you're looking around 250 people that are active in this project. And without them, it actually would not happen. Amazing. Yeah. And as we've, we've already talked about, doing quite emotionally difficult work at yeah. times. Yeah, um, yeah, of course, of course. Presumably they, they support one another in, in that work. Yeah, they do. And I think like us, you know, they, they, they get it. Mm -hmm. uh, they probably get more, you know, used to it, used to the experience. And they can see when their work is being presented at conferences that what they're doing is really important. And I think that probably just makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. yeah. While I've got you, Abby, is there anything else that you're doing at the Ooh. moment that you're particularly excited about? Are there other projects you're working on? Well, aside from it being the 20 year anniversary of MSN and us being very excited about that um, and running a super duper conference this March, um, we have got related to sort of citations and big, big glamorous things. We are at the moment this last year and this year, we're we're pushing forward our bottlenose dolphin work. So in 2016, the trust uh, coordinated a forum for Cornwall, um, the Southwest Bottlenose Dolphin Forum, and it was for us to bring people together to better understand and, and better conserve our very special inshore pod of bottlenose dolphins, which at the time we felt loved Cornwall. We now know they quite like Sussex and Kent. Oh. So, um, <laughs> so our Southwest Bottlenose Dolphins have become the South Coast Bottlenose Dolphins. Uh, so we are working across the whole of the Channel region. Uh, with other partners to um, collaborate and come together to kind of find out more and understand and better protect these amazing, amazing creatures in our inshore waters. So that's a very exciting piece of work. Um, we've been running some winter online seminars and I'm sure there'll be more events coming up later in the year from the consortium so people just need to keep an eye on our website great yeah yeah and again we'll put the link to, to that in the show great. notes yeah Abby thanks very much for your time and good luck with all that you're doing brilliant thank you very much for having me after that really interesting talk with Abby I then interviewed Sharon who is a marine strandings volunteer 
Sharon, welcome to the Wild Cornwall podcast. Thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. And well, let's start with thank you very much for all of the work you do as a volunteer for Cornwall Wildlife Trust. It's hugely appreciated. Um, I've just been talking to Abby about volunteers and, you know, we've been saying that Marine Strandings Network couldn't happen without people like you who give generously of their time. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, How long have you been volunteering? So I've been volunteering now for probably about 12 to 14 months. Um, And yes, it's 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 become part of a lifestyle now. How much time is it taking you? Um, well, that depends. This time of year, uh, through the winter, it takes up a lot more time than it would do through the summer. Um, but uh, average, at least once a week, um, we get calls out. Um, sometimes it can be three, four, five times a week um, and multiple times in a day. Okay. Um, so and you, you have a regular day when today, Thursday, when you come into our offices at Allet. And yes. then it then sounds like you're on call at other times. Yes, I am. So I, I volunteer also with the hotline. So uh, once a week or once every fortnight now, um, I volunteer with the, with the hotline. So I'll cover and coordinate any calling, any strandings that have been called in. Um, but generally, yes, on call 24-7 <laughs> with, uh, with anything that needs to be um, checked out around the ghosts. And have you ever had one in the night? No, we don't re- normally go out at night time because it's dangerous. So yeah. we don't put ourselves at any risk at the end of the day. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, so uh, we'll go out first thing in the morning. Uh, we'll get calls, but we'll go out first thing in the oh, morning. So you do actually get calls during yes. the night? Oh, we people. can do, yes. Yeah. yeah, on the hotline we've had some late calls. Um, <laughs> but yes, it's uh, we'll generally go out in, in the daylight um, so it's safe for everyone that's involved. Yeah. And can you tell us what is it like when you when you get that call? From the moment you've got the call to go out, what's what's that whole experience like? Um, so with me, it's a family affair. So um, okay. we we all get together and go right. Okay, we've got a stranding. Um, my son, who's eighteen, who's studying um, marine biology and marine uh, conservation, he's very keen uh, to help now. So he gets involved along with my husband. Who husband's the bag carrier? <laughs> I I direct everyone to where they've got to go. Um, and we head down to, to the stranding. Um, my son is usually the one that takes the photographs. Um, I record it. My husband um, does the uh, measuring. So it is kind of a family thing. Um, it gets us to places we've never been before. Um, so it's quite exciting when we, we go to somewhere different. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 we get that call. We go down and we assess what we, we come across. What was it like when you arrive on the scene of the, of the stranding? Um, normally we, we, we have a look and, and see if there's any evidence of, of how it's stranded in the first place. Was it, did it come in as a live stranding or has it just washed in um, with the tides? Um, what the condition of, of the animal is when we find it? Unfortunately, sometimes they're not the prettiest um, creatures to find because they've been in the sea for quite some time um other times they're quite fresh um so then we'll if it's a fresh animal we'll then coordinate with uh, james barnett's who's our pathologist and we will um coordinate with him to see whether he needs it for further post-mortem um so we then um let's sort of assess the animal see if there's anything we can identify that would flag up any um 
needs to, to call in any more information, whether it's um, bycatch, whether it's um, if there's some other boat injuries uh, that it might have had, or whether it's just general um, illness. Um, so we assess, assess the area first. There could be netting near the animals. There could be um, other, other things that might have caused injury uh, nearby. So we always assess what's around the animal before we even start to look at the animal. It sounds to me, Sharon, like you, you've got a bit of a background in, in an expertise in this sort of area. What did you bring to it before volunteering? Um, so I used to be a microbiologist at Trelisk, um, and I've always had this real intrigue into pathology. Um, so this is almost the CSI of, of marine life, um, which is which is to me is something I've always wanted to do and always be part of. Um, so now it's kind of living the dream but in a in a quite weird way with with dead animals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, good to know that the work you're doing is making a real difference. Actually, yeah, that's the thing is when you come across the animals, you you're telling their story because they can't. Um, and what we do is we try and investigate that and fill in the gaps on on what those, what the missing um information is. Um, and say it's nice to be able to say it it's died of old age. Um, but also ill health can come into it. And if we get more than a couple with a similar um, illness, then it might flag something up within the environment. Mm. We also have bycatch, um, which is, again, really sad to see because it, it's us that are causing the, the damage. Um, but again, we can we can flag areas if we get multiple um multiple animals come in with bycatch injuries um so yeah it's 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 just telling that story that they can't tell mm. and it, it sounds to me like it could be potentially quite distressing for for a volunteer to be doing this kind of work yes it can especially if it is um caused by human error um that's when it can really really make make a volunteer feel angry is probably more uh, the the frustrations and the anger that you that you get with this, but to be able to flag it and to be able to put it in the database to maybe hopefully get some backing to sort of help in the future that that's where you've got to look at it. But yeah, and I, and I presume that you know within the volunteer community there's a there's that level of support. Absolutely. Um, if and say if we do come across anything, especially. Uh, for instance, we had all the avian flu. There's a lot of birds washing up and it was very, very distressing because a lot of them are, are still alive but are passing. We can't do anything about it. So, yes, we talk to each other, we support each other and it's a really, really good group. Uh, we're a fantastic team um, and, yeah, we're very, very supportive of each other. Some of us have different knowledge in different areas so we can always call on them as well for certain identifications on animals. We've got a couple of volunteers that are fantastic for that. Um, so yeah it's really good Sharon it sounds like you're giving a huge amount of your time uh, but equally just yeah. listening to you talk about it you're clearly getting a lot as well from being a volunteer oh, absolutely yeah what, what are some of the real benefits the, the benefits are is it's been a passion um, or it's become a passion should I say um, to go out there and and help tell that story if if I can help in any way to to um, better what we do around our marine life 
um, and and land life in, in general because it does it, it all affects each other um, then to me that's a real bonus but also it gets us out as a family um, we, we we're all making a difference in, in in that respect and and the same with all the volunteers we we're all making that difference and and giving this area a voice so yeah great well thank you for all you do and and all the best with it no thank you no it's, it's fantastic really enjoy it that's all for today on the wild cornwall podcast if you'd like to find out more about the marine strandings network then have a look at Cornwall Wildlife Trust's website. You can find all the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.